Thanks for listening to the Voice Church Podcast. We are a new life-giving multi-ethnic church located in Orange County, California. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Tustin. For more information, check out our social media or our website at www.voice.church. And now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, good morning. That's the first story I heard that somebody was listening to a podcast in the Himalayas. Uh, That is a story to say the least, but it's so good to be here, to to be uh, here with uh, Taka Lee as well, to be able to share God's word with you. I think that's probably a little sick. Try something different here. Let me move this to the front, maybe. Yeah. Well, we'll see where it heads. And so, but again, I I serve at Biola University. I'm the dean of the Talbot School of Theology there, and super excited to be here with you as well. Any Biola graduates perhaps here? No, no, well, what? Yeah, okay, there we go. There you go, good, 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 good. All right, welcome, welcome, especially. And if you like her, then that's a good sign. So let's all go to Biola. No, good, good, so glad you're here. Well, you know, it's, we say the first service of 2024. It's not for most of us the first service of 2024. So I went on your webpage and saw a little bit what you were doing. And, uh, and so that's great. So this is our first service of 2024. So I didn't, you know, you seem to be following a different calendar than the rest of the world. <laughs> but nevertheless, here we are at the Voice Church first service of the year. And I'm so glad to be here with you as well. And, you know, I, I, they asked me to supply the, the question to be asked. And so I, I asked about 2024 because, um, you know, there's a lot going on in our culture and this time. We're in a unique time of turbulence and tumult in our culture. I've written about it. I called it a cultural convulsion in a magazine that I edit. And we're all sort of feeling this unique time of turbulence and tumult. It's a complicated time. It's a challenging time. And I think there's no better time in a time like this to get back to the gospel, in this case, in the gospels, and learn what the Lord has for us. So my text this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. And we'll look at that together. So it says, it says this. I'm not sure. Are we a screen people or are we not a screen people? Do we? Okay, good. Okay, so John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19, says this. I'm not sure if the first part of the passage is there. There it is. Okay. Uh, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the uh, disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. I think I didn't give them the passage at the front. No, I did. Okay. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And then he said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we're going to go through all four of those, and we'll go through the passage little by little. But in this passage, I think it's a great reminder for us to look at the current cultural moment. And number one in our outline we're going to look at, even as we begin, is that fear is the opposite of faith. Because when we look at the kind of the cultural moment we're in, we sort of fear, uh, we see the fear all around us. And that fear often is kind of guised as anger. It's sort of uh, kind of uh, something that, that people in our culture kind of experience. And, and, you know, sometimes that's just we, maybe we fear for the future, right? There was a poll recently talked about some of people's fear for the future regarding the future of our nation and our world. And I got to tell you, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty crazy time. It's like nothing I've seen in my lifetime. And maybe we haven't seen our culture as divided as it is since maybe the, maybe the 60s, maybe the late 60s. So we feel that, right? And then maybe it goes up and down. But here's the great thing. Here's 2024. Guess what? Great news. It's an election year. So it's really going to be nice and calm. 
nice and smooth. Uh, the Iowa caucuses are tomorrow. You know, so, so there's, lots of, uh, there's lots of things that we sort of feel in this cultural moment. But I'm convinced that the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. Let me say it again so you don't miss it. The moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. So in this passage, uh, Jesus is recorded as engaging the disciples, right? So the disciples find themselves in a fearful situation. Now it's, uh, we can actually just pick it up right in the story. Let's take a look at what the story says. It says this, on the evening of that first day of the week. Now I want you to start there because I want you to see that uh, John is a detail-giving gospel writer, right? So it says, on the evening of that first day. What first day? Well, if you had a, a Bible with headings, like uh, my, my Bible has a heading, and right above John 20, 19, it says, Jesus appears to the disciples. If you just scrolled up to the heading before, the heading before is actually um, uh, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, and Mary Magdalene goes and tells the disciples. And then if you go to the heading before, in John chapter 20, verse 1, is the resurrection. So this is that first day of the week. But what we're going to see is John's a detail-giving gospel writer. He wants us to know certain things, and he emphasizes them. So it says, on the evening of that first day of the week, with the disciples, when the disciples were together with doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, it says this. I, you know, you asked me if I needed a glass of water, and I said no, and now I've changed my mind because it's, I was smoking early. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it always happens when you're up speaking that you suddenly need a drink of water. But they graciously offered, and I said, no, 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 no. Thank you, ma'am. You are amazing. Unlike Taco, who didn't offer water or anything. Um, so you, Natalie's the good one. But you knew that. Uh, okay, so on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with doors locked, and this is where John's detail giving really comes in for us, with doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. <coughs> Always happens. Okay, so um, I don't know about you. You know, I, I live in Orange County too, so I live here near here, um, and I I I lock my doors. I at least live in Chicago. I lock my doors there. I grew up in New York City. I lock my doors there, but I do it just for you know for prudence for for you know just habit. You know, some people in some parts of the world don't ever lock their doors, and that's fine. But John's not really saying it's bad they lock their doors. He actually says why they lock their doors. Remember, John's a detail-giving gospel writer. So it says that the door's locked for fear. <clears throat> for fear is why they're ultimately locked now. The greatest guest speaker ever who just coughs the entire time. <laughs> All right. All right. So, um, so why would fear be uh, a cause for concern? Well, again, fear, John's going to remind us in just a minute, is not the call that they have. They have a call to actually respond in faith, but fear is the opposite of faith. And people are afraid today. Some people are afraid for their future. Some people are afraid for their nation. Some people are afraid for, I mean, geopolitical conflicts around the world. You know, if you had in 2019, if you had said, you know, it's going to be a global pandemic, it's going to be a war in Europe, it's going to be a war in the Middle East, and going to be forthcoming, perhaps a war in Asia, you would, you would just say, no, that's, that's too much. But here we are in all these things. So some people are afraid. And in the election year, you're going to find that people are going to be driven very much by fear in the electoral ads as well. Um, you know, we'll watch ads on television and uh, you'll say, why do people run these negative ads? The reason they run negative ads is to get people upset, get people afraid. And when people are upset and afraid, they tend to vote. And people all hate negative ads, except they work. 
And so that's why politicians use them. So why? Because fear is something that we can stir up in people, and in stirring them up in people, it ultimately leads to them making changes often for the worse. Now, here we are in 2024. Far too many people, including Christians, are discipled by their cable news choices. They're spiritual shaped by their social media, and the end result is, is they walk in fear rather than walking in faith. Now, John, the detail-giving gospel writer that he is, is going to take us from their moment of fear and point us to this opportunity to respond in faith, and that's what I want to do today. So preaching is often taking what took place 2,000 years ago, explaining the biblical text, what's going on, and then applying it to our situation today. So 2,000 years ago, they were locked behind closed doors in fear. Jesus had already been risen from the dead, yet... They were finding themselves behind closed doors in fear, and then Jesus is about to come and send them on mission. And that's what I'm, at the beginning of 2024, right, our first worship service of 2024, I want to encourage you to live on mission in the midst of fearful times. Why? Because the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. So number one, peace is the opposite of faith. Number two, the, the uh, number two is peace is always, peace is the Christian response, Peace is the Christian response. Remember, the moment we're in does not pause the mission we are on. And in John chapter 20, the second part of verse 19, it says this. Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Four words, peace be with you. Would you say them out loud with me? Would that be all right? Let's do it. Peace be with you. Let's say it twice because Jesus said it twice. Peace be with you. In just a minute, he'll say it again in the verses. So now here's the thing. So Jesus says to the people in fear, peace be with you, right? God's intent and God's design for the people of God, for you and me, is not that we might be caught up in fear. We might not be shaped by the ways of the world, but we might live as people who have peace that passes all understanding, peace that passes all understanding. Now, we all know what peace that, that is easy to understand looks like. I was a kid, I was growing up outside of New York City on Long Island, and one day, you know, I found, I think, a $5 bill on the ground. And I got to tell you, I had a peace that perfectly aligned with that moment. I was excited about it. I felt like the richest kid in Levittown. I had found $5 as a kid. Now, but a peace that passes all understanding is a peace that's there when other things, when bad things and good things, but when bad things happen, that's when peace passes all understanding. So in the midst of a culturally divided time, if followers of Jesus are exhibiting a different kind of peace, are engaging the world differently, their social media doesn't look like their friends, but looks different because of their faith. That's the kind of thing that is a peace that passes all understanding. Philippians 4, 7 puts it this way. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So again, we've heard that verse. If you've been in church any length of time, you've heard the verse that the peace of God, which passes all and surpasses, it's un unimaginable if it weren't for the presence of Jesus. Now, the times like that, the reason Christians stand out is because they, they stick out because they're living differently in times that are driven by anger and frustration and turbulence and tumult. Then there's some people who just seem different. And those are people where peace 
has taken hold in their hearts. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't point out that things are broken and there are problems in the world. There certainly are. And that's not what peace means, is to ignore the problems, not speak up around the issues. But peace is not even the absence of problems, but the presence of a person named Jesus who himself personifies that peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, it actually says he himself is our peace. So Jesus, as a person, is the peace that passes all understanding. So if you're here today as a follower of Jesus and you feel the overwhelming weight of the times, I get it. Lean into who Jesus is and you will walk in a peace that passes all understanding. Now, for uh, 2,000 years ago, when uh, the disciples were, uh, were walking the earth, when Jesus was teaching physically amongst his people, um, people wrote down what he said. Remember, John is one of the people. The Gospel of John is written by John. He's one of the four gospel writers. He's the detail-giving gospel writer. Um, and so he writes down these things. But what's important to note is that most people in that day were not literate. They couldn't pick up the Bible themselves and read it. So the way they would experience the Bible is having it read to them. So they would gather and have long passages read to them. So the people who John is describing in John chapter 20, which is they were behind closed doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, they would have heard in probably the same reading what Jesus said about, well, living in fear and having peace. It's in John 14, 27. So six chapters away, probably one reading they would have heard this. So they would have known that when when fear was the focus of the disciples, that Jesus actually, six chapters before, told them it's not to be fear, but instead to be, to be trusting in him and walking in peace. Look at John 14, 27. Jesus says, John records, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Right, so he actually says, peace, it's not as the world gives. So the circumstances the disciples were in, where they, were, they had seen Jesus crucified, they, they, they knew he was buried. Now, by now, they had heard he had risen from the dead. But their circumstances didn't point to peace, but Jesus did. But the same Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So if you're a follower of Jesus in this time, one of the things, I, I wish I could tell you that Christianity promised a, a, uh, an existence free of trouble. It doesn't. Uh, I wish I could promise you that Christianity is an existence free of stress and turbulence and tumult. It's not. But there's something that is changed in the life of the believer, that having been changed by the power of the gospel, they have a peace that passes all understanding. Now, I don't know where you are today, or if you're watching us online, or you're here gathered in person, um, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you say, well, Ed, if I become a follower of Jesus, what, what's that mean? Well, it means forgiveness of our sin, it means eternal life, but it also means a peace that passes all understanding, but sometimes you have to wrestle toward and for that peace. So number one, fear is the opposite of faith. Number two, Peace is the Christian response, right? We can walk in peace in the midst of challenging times. Number three, the cross is our hope and our motivation. The cross is our hope and our motivation. Now we're getting to John chapter 20, verse 20. Now remember, John is a detail-giving gospel writer, and we're going to see that right here. Now remember where we're headed. The moment we're in doesn't pause the mission we're on, but now we get to verse 20. Let's take a look at it. After he, that's Jesus, said this, 
He showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, I want to stop there. We're going to leave those two sentences on the screen for just a couple of minutes. Uh, Here's why. Because we can kind of see John's penchant for giving particular specific details, right? It says, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, of course, they're overjoyed, right? I mean, Jesus had been dead. Now he's alive. He had been buried. Now he's resurrected. Now, I mean, you would have that response. If someone you knew died on Friday and showed up at your house on Sunday, rejoicing might not be your first reaction, but it would certainly be in the list of reactions eventually. Well, so, but John gives us two sentences instead of the one. The one would be the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The two is, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So why? Sentence one tells us the reason for the rejoicing in sentence two. It's not just that Jesus was back from the dead. We'd all rejoice at that. It's that Jesus had died on the cross for their sin and in their place that his resurrected body, now able to miraculously appear behind closed and locked doors, but still bore the marks of the crucifixion. So sisters and brothers, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that we talk a lot about Jesus' death on the cross for our sin and in our place. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, that may be a strange thing for you. Why do you talk so much about the death of this person who lived 2,000 years ago. Why do you actually call the Friday of his death Good Friday? What a strange thing. Because we know that because of this first sentence that John writes, he showed them his hands, that's where the nails were, his side, that's where he was struck by a spear. Uh, The disciples, now because of that, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, um, I don't know if any of you heard of a um, pastor friend of mine who died last year. Um, his name was Tim Keller. Do you like, does anybody read Tim Keller in this, in your world, in your space? Okay, you guys know Tim Keller. Okay. Um, so Tim's a Presbyterian. Um, he's, uh, he was a friend for a lot of years. And, you know, I come from a non-Christian home. And Tim's kind of a, like for a lot of us, is a spiritual father. He's a pastor in New York City in Manhattan. A New York Times bestselling author, Reason for God. is just a, It's just a transformative book. So um, on podcasts, you know, you had the New Churches podcast, which, which uh, by the way, they, they, I'm going to tell the people who came up with the name. They said, we just want the name so SEO just connects with it immediately, and it worked in the Himalayas. I mean, that's a good sign right there. And the Himalayas, um, i got to hear more about your journey to the Himalayas. That sounds very, uh, that sounds very 2020. Um, so, um, but, um, so Tim, I, a lot of people interviewed him. I, I interviewed him, and he had this interesting phrase. Um, and he's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of hard, it's hard to describe Tim Keller. Um, but he, he, he had this interesting phrase that uh, well, I would interview him or someone would interview him. And, you, and you'd say things like, you know, what do you, you know, he, had, he, had, he was diagnosed with a cancer a few years ago that, that if you just Googled the cancer, you knew it had a very low survival, survivability rate. Um, and, you know, we didn't talk about that a lot, but, you know, he continued to minister. He was going through treatments. He was going through experimental treatments. And um, I had him teach a class for me during that time, and we planned to bring a group to New York City. We did bring a group to New York City for him to teach, and, but then he had some infection, and so he actually taught in New York City. We were like three buildings over. He had to be in a room by himself, and we would, you know, he would be in the other room. We were in New York City together live, but, you know, three buildings away um, because he was struggling with this for a long time. But his spirit, he kind of wrote about how this has drawn him closer to the Lord, but he's dying of 
cancer. At the same time, the world's kind of coming apart, right? There's division all around. Uh, people are mad. People are angry. Christians are divided. You just got to look online and see all the, the drama that's there. And so I asked him um, in an interview once, um, I said, you know what? And I try to remember he leaned back, you know, he kind of has this way about him. He had this way about him. He sort of leaned back. And I, I don't really remember the exact question because I've heard people, I've heard him answer this different ways in different interviews, but mine might've been, you know, what about the divided world? And, or it might've been, you know, I mean, you've got this terminal diagnosis of cancer, maybe not, maybe not terminal, but you got a very serious, a low story. You know, people asked him this different times and he always would lean back and kind of take a moment, and you could see that. I mean, it's a, it's a weighty question, but here's what he said. He said, Ed, or whoever he talked to, he said, if the resurrection's true, everything's going to be okay. I thought that was pretty simple, almost simplistic, but yet the most important truth of all the universe for the follower of Jesus. So, so that's how we can have this hope and motivation in the midst of a broken and hurting world. Because if the resurrection is true, then your health is failing and you lose your life, as Tim did. If the resurrection is true, then everything's going to be okay. And if the world's divided and it gets worse before it gets better and all the worst predictions of the future come true, and it doesn't take much. You can read the pages of the Atlantic. You can read the New York Times. You can read, you can read Fox News. You can read CNN. You can read all these places, and everyone says everything's on fire. And what does that mean? We don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet, and I work at a nonprofit organization. I don't know the future. <laughs> so whatever it is, but the cross is our hope and motivation. So there's this great verse in Romans that just comes to mind at this moment. It's Romans 14 verse 8. Here's what it says. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So the disciples rejoiced because they saw his hands on his side. So the resurrected Jesus had lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sin and in our place. God raised him from the dead on the third day. And if that's true, if he's really been resurrected and we really received him, everything's going to be okay. And we have to trust him through some of the difficulty that we walk through this day. But if we live, we live for the Lord. What a great 2024 idea for you. If the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on, could your 2024, at our first service of 24, could your call this moment to say, well, if I live, I live for the Lord this year. If I die, I die for the Lord this year. Whether we live or whether we die this year, we belong to the Lord. So the moment we're in does not pause the, the mission we are on. Okay, but let's not end there because we're coming up to number four, and, and I'll close with this. You know what it means when a guest speaker says, I'll close with this? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> not a thing. Because what are you going to do at this point, right? Natalie going to come up here with like a hook and pull me off? No, nothing's going nothing's to happen. I learned, I was a little learning about the preaching rotation. So, so I, am, you know, uh, I am the guest, I'm now a member of the guest teaching team because uh, Taco was explaining that he preaches once, and then Natalie preaches once, and he preaches once, and then someone in the teaching team teaches once. So I must now be in the teaching team. And there you go. Say, well, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll stop. Maybe the next time I won't cough. But who said you couldn't pay me? Was that Katie said you couldn't pay me? Okay, just, just checking. Uh, no, it's, I, I try to, I try to, um, I usually, I tweet, and I, and I, I say, hey, if you're a small church pastor, you're pastoring a small church, you know, the, your church is, is really not a small church. Your church is, 
The typical church size in the United States, the median church size in the United States, in case you're wondering, is about 74 people on a Sunday. So your church is a little larger than the median church size as well. And God's doing so many things. The, the things you can do in and through in the community of a small church. I loved how you said, I'm not going to do a lot of announcements. And then just to be honest, you did a lot of announcements. Um, <laughs> but I, I was making me smile the whole time because I'm like, I want to go to that. And I want to go to that. See, that's the community that you can have in a small church together. I shouldn't have publicly reviewed Taka, should I? I didn't. But you literally said, I'm not going to do a lot of announcements. And then you had six announcements that follow that. And I'm not going to do it. So we're like 14 more you held back on? I, I can't imagine there was anything else. You literally went through everything. Um, but you know what a joy it is to be in a church this size, particularly a new church with the new vibrancy that's there. And thanks for letting me be a part of the, the teaching team for this, for this Sunday. Number four, and finally, I too am easily distracted. You may have noticed. Right, squirrel. All right, so I'm back to focus. You had to watch a movie at a very certain time period in life to get that reference. Number four, we go because Jesus came to us. So this is what I'm asking of you. I'm asking of you in 2024 to live on mission because the moment we're in doesn't pause the mission we're on. I'm actually of the view it's going to get probably worse, the cultural division in 2024. Again, I don't want to speak on anybody, anything. I just think in the culture, not you, not me, but I think it's probably going to get worse and it's probably going to be a challenge and it's going to be bad. And yet in the midst of moments like this, it's when Jesus works in powerful ways. I mean, think about the last few years, right? But then think back to the late 1960s. Late 1960s, there was a, there was a, Huge, it was global unrest, but there's unrest here. None of you were probably looking around the room. I don't think any of you are old enough to have been a teenager in 1968. But if you were a teenager in 1968, there were uh, protests about the Vietnam War. There were protests about civil rights. Uh, the, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated that year. This is Martin Luther King Jr. King weekend uh, coming Monday as well. He was assassinated in 1968. Um, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated in 1968. You, ju- you might actually not know there was actually a pandemic in 1968. Uh, it was actually, uh, your parents and grandparents probably called it the Hong Kong flu. We'd call it, I think, H3N2 today. Uh, but they didn't shut the world down. Uh, they actually, ironically, started planting Woodstock, which doesn't seem like a good strategy to stop the spread of anything. Um, but so, you know, 1968, all this stuff is going on. And, man, I felt like the world was falling apart. And people weren't sure the country was going to stay together. If you're old enough, you remember seeing a, a newsreel of Dan Rather getting pushed down at a, at, at a political convention, and he became a famous newscaster. So all this is 1968. And I don't know, if 2024 is going to get as bad as that, I don't know. Could be. Wouldn't be surprised if it does. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss. Also in 1968, less than five miles from where we are right now, a pastor turned to his daughter and said, man, I'd really like to meet one of those hippies that are in the counterculture community. And, that, and that his daughter brought home a hippie for the pastor to meet. And that pastor and that hippie who was a new Christian started a Bible study together. And it, it grew to, to dozens and then hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands. And depending on how you count, 20 to 30 million people are spiritually impacted by the Jesus people movement that birthed less than five miles from where we are right now. That pastor by the name, his name was Chuck Smith, and that hippie was named Lonnie Frisbee, and that church was Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, which I think is five miles away from here. Could be, uh, could be a little off. My geography's new. So, but here's the thing I want you to see. In the midst of turbulence and tumult is often the time where the Holy Spirit works in unique and impactful ways. John chapter 20, verse 21. Let's look at it together. Again, Jesus said, 
Peace be with you. I told you he said it twice. Well, this is the second time. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Those are the words I want you to hear, right? As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, in the Greek, it's in the same, for the same, uh, in the same manner, not for the same purpose. Jesus didn't send you to die on the cross for our sin and in our place. But I don't want you to miss this. He did in the same manner that God sent Jesus. Jesus sends us in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if it's true, we're in a culturally convulsive time. I've almost like we've gotten used to the last, after the last few years, we've kind of gotten used to it. But if we're in a culturally convulsive time, what are Christians supposed to do? Well, let me tell you a story that may help illustrate. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up, um, I mentioned I grew up outside of New York City on Long Island. Well, my family's all from New York City. And my grandfather was the fire battalion chief for Lower Manhattan in the New York Fire Department. So the, if you're old enough to know or read history about 9-11, the house that took the most losses was one of the houses that my grandfather would have overseen. He was not with us by then. My uncle was a New York City cop and more. Um, and I remember uh, stories he used to tell me. I go to his house when I was a kid, and he would tell me stories about the fire department. And actually, let me show you, this is actually his badge. This is his New York Fire Department badge and my uncle's uh, New York Police Department badge. So, um, so he, he would always say in those stories something like, um, a, he called me Eddie, and, and you may not. Um, so <laughs> um, he called me Eddie, and, and he said, Eddie, uh, when everyone else is running away, like if there's a fire and everyone else is running away, we're the ones running toward the crisis. I always thought that was fascinating. And I remember it a hundred times, you know, if there was a bomb scare, was getting away from the bomb, we're the ones running towards the crisis to defuse the bomb. We're the ones running towards the fire. Um, and and I, I, a few, well, actually during COVID, I wrote an article in USA Today, kind of reflecting a little bit on that. And, you know, in times when people are unsure what the future is, this was probably, I don't even know, March or April, 2020, I wrote this article about how Christians can stand up and stand out in this moment. And I said, stepping back for a moment, I wrote in USA Today, it's worth asking why the Christian church has and is now again to live in a sacrificial way. The answer is in part the description of Christians as, quote, citizens of a heaven, unquote, Philippians 3.20. Our hope is not in this life, but in the life of come, to come. But I talked about how Christians would, should, and will stand up, stand out, show and share the love of Jesus in tumultuous and turbulent times. Well, we're still in those tumultuous and turbulent times. And the moment we're in doesn't pause the mission we're on. So how do we stand up and stand out in the midst of that? Well, this is the first service of 2024. So I'm asking you to join me and other Christians around the world to say, you happen to do it at the first service that's a little later than everybody else's, to say that in 2024, I'm going to represent Jesus and his kingdom well. I'm going to go towards the turbulence and the tumult, and I'm going to go towards that in and for Jesus' name. Um, I'm going to give one passage, one more passage to go. My favorite verse in the New Testament is actually John 20, 21. So the verse I just preached to you is my favorite verse. So I got to pick my text for today, cleared it with you, but, but, uh, but I love this passage. But my favorite verse in the Old Testament is like unto it. It says this, it's Isaiah 6, 8. It says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, now let me tell you what's going on here. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says the year King Uzziah died. So the king died, which is a real time of frightening time in a kingdom. Back then, not now. You know, Don and I lived in, in England last year, and I taught at Oxford University and lived there for the fall. And, uh, you know, the queen had just died, and people weren't afraid, they were sad. 
But centuries before, and for millennia before that, when your king died, it was a time of fear, tumult, and turbulence. You didn't know who's going to be the new king or queen. Uh, you wouldn't, didn't know if your kingdom was going to fall. And so in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah has this vision. We don't have time to unpack it all. But then at the end of this vision, he says this in verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, this is Isaiah, and I said, here I am, here am I, send me. So I think that as we look at 2024, it's a great opportunity for us to say, here am I, send me. Kind of acknowledge that right now in the midst of the tumultuous and turbulent time we're living in, that we could say to the Lord, use me. I mean, if the resurrection is true, it's all going to be okay. So in the meanwhile, help me show and share the love of Jesus in the midst of a broken and hurting world. Help me to cry, here am I, send me. Those are five words. Here am I, send me. Would you send those, say those out loud with me? Let's try it together. Here am I, send me. One more time. Here am I, send me. So I want to invite you today that the first service of 2024, and what's probably going to be a tumultuous and turbulent year, for you to hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I'm inviting you to hear the words of Jesus and to respond to Jesus with Isaiah's words, here am I, send me. So I wonder if you take a moment, bow your heads with me, pray with me, and let's commit 2024 to be those who live on mission in the midst of these tumultuous and turbulent times. Remember what Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Lord, we come before you this day. We acknowledge that through your grace and your goodness, you've redeemed us and called us by name, and you've sent us on a mission for your namesake. Lord Jesus, I pray in the quietness of this moment that we would hear the year, the exhortation for the year laid out before us. Jesus says to us, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Could I just voice those words and you hear them from the Lord himself? He said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, I want you to hear that with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I want you to think on your neighborhood, your coworkers, your family, and your friends and hear the words of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So we can go towards the brokenness of our world to show and share the love of Jesus. And even now, maybe in the quietness of this moment, maybe the Lord's prompting on your heart someone or some place, some situation where you can go and show and share the love of Jesus, where you can live at one to the world and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. So just in this moment, as you hear the words of Jesus, can I ask you to respond with the words of Isaiah? Just right now, with your head closed, your head bowed, your eyes closed, I want you to think on the place the Lord may be sending you in 2024. Here am I, Lord. To say to him, here am I, Lord. Send me. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to think on that place, that circumstance, that situation. And if that's a prayer of your heart, to make it your prayer today. And just say it softly, but out loud with me. And say, here am I, Lord, send me. Just think of that place. And now let's say it together. Here am I, send me. Father, that's our prayer today, Lord. May the moment we're in not pause the mission we're on, 
In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message at Voice Church. We hope it inspired you to live a life more faithfully for Jesus and to be a voice of hope for your community. We'd love for you to join us in person on a Sunday. And until then, we hope you have a beautiful week.